Hi everyone, I'm Gauri Lam. I'm your host for Business of Building. I'm very excited today to be able to introduce you to Dr. Wayne Wizer. He is a globally recognized pracademic poet and a possibilist on the impact of business on nature and society with faculty roles at the University of Cambridge and Antwerp Management School. He is also a director of the Think Tank Kaleidoscope Futures, founder of CSR International and former director of sustainability services at KPMG and strategy analyst at Capgemini. He has written 41 books, including the Amazon bestseller Thriving, the breakthrough movement to regenerate nature, society, and the economy. His work has taken him to 77 countries, and he has been listed as a top 100 thought leader in trustworthy business. Without further ado, please join me to welcome Dr. Wayne Witter on Business of Building. Thank you, Dr. Wayne, for joining us today. One of my first questions uh, for you was, uh, what was your personal journey like into what we knew as CSR, I think about only about a decade ago, if I may. And then, yeah, it's been a journey, isn't it? It was, it started as a CSR. Now it's known as sustainability. We are hearing the ESG word quite a lot. I'll come to COP27 in a bit as well and your views, but was it always a passion of yours? Did you always know you're going to enter in the field or this is what I'd like to do? Or was it like a journey which ended up being what you're doing? Yeah, well, thanks uh, for having me on the podcast. Great pleasure to be with you. For me, I was studying business in Cape Town in South Africa, just at the time that was the lead up to the original Rio Earth Summit of 1992. And I was involved in an economics and commerce students organization called ISAC. And they started organizing conferences around this theme. And I ended up going to a conference in Japan where we were from around the world, young people, putting our voice forward into this uh, global conference, uh, which was really the first time that the world agreed on uh, taking action on sustainability. So ever since then, that's been my focus. And, uh, you know, it's always been about working with business as a, an agent for change. And, you know, now I wear lots of different hats, but, uh, you know, I've got a Cambridge hat, I've got a Antwerp Management School hat and and others, but always it's it's the interest in how business can accelerate this change and actually be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And how how has it happened that it has gone from CSR to sustainability and ESG? What is your view of that journey for uh, the change of a change of terminology, as it were, or is it real change in how people are perceiving as to what we want in the end? I think it's actually two streams that have uh, joined together. So, you know, you had a strong environmental theme which was uh, emerging from the 1970s, roughly. You can go further back, of course, but 1970 was the first uh, Earth Day. It was when Greenpeace was founded. 1972 was the uh, UN Conference on, on Environment and Development uh, in Stockholm. And then you had this other strand, which was really about social responsibility and that you can track even further back to the sort of philanthropy movements uh, of the late 1800s even, but then formalizing more and more 
And so I think especially in developing countries, uh, we saw a strong emphasis on the social issues and CSR, although strangely enough, also in places like United States, where that philanthropy tradition was very strong. But then you saw this environmental movement gathering pace over the decades. And, you know, it was really in the 1990s that they came together as sustainability. And, you know, I tried for a long time to evolve the concept of CSR through CSR International that I established. But for the most part, it stayed fairly limited. People really have treated it more like charity. Uh, yeah, and so. also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it also related more to companies who did production? And it was more supply chain, making sure wherever you're producing, it was sustainable? Or was this just my view coming from the retail industry? Yeah, I think, obviously, there are, there have been more issues in the supply chain that are social issues. And so CSR has tended to pick those up. Where we're at today is that, you know, if you really want to still use that umbrella term, you have to look to ISO 26000, which is quite an, a holistic view on CSR, on social responsibility. There are seven core subjects covering everything from human rights to environment, organizational governance and other things. But I did see a shift really to more people adopting sustainability as, as the way forward. Uh, now, as you say, we see ESG rising up, and some people think it's the same as sustainability. It's not really, to be honest. It's it's the financial industry's way to interpret sustainability and actually more to measure sustainability. And I would say it's more limited than sustainability, but it's the latest uh, fad, if you like. Um, so all of these things are, yeah, they're competing terms and uh, can be a bit confusing. But so long as we have some fundamentals underlying them, it doesn't really matter. And I always say there are probably four underlying fundamentals. One is good governance. Uh, the second is, you know, value creation, economic value creation. Uh, the third is societal engagement. And the fourth is environmental integrity. So long as we have these elements, it doesn't really matter what we call it. That's quite interesting because as long as your building, as it were, building blocks are there in place, you would in the end pivot towards in the right direction and then have minor correction. Um, for me, the industry has changed so much in the last 10 years, certainly the, the property real estate industry and the perceptions um, have changed about sustainability and how the business uh, used to perceive it 10 years ago, as it were. Sorry, I'm talking in decade and uh, and now. And also I wanted to pick up on COP27, which has just happened because we, we were referring to how it started in the 90s and so on. Any views on how businesses should, what businesses should take out of COP27, your views, positive, negatives? Yeah, well, the first thing to say is, of course, we have the climate issue, which is one of the environmental issues, and the environmental issues are just some of the issues related to sustainability. So this is like a specific focus, and 
Yeah, COP27 comes at a challenging time uh, for, for the countries of the world, of course, with competing priorities, cost of living crisis, energy price hikes, uh, war in Ukraine, uh, and so on. So I, I think it's proving to be quite difficult to make much progress uh, in Egypt this year. We haven't seen any big announcements. There have been some good changes. I mean, uh, you know, America is really on board and good news with the midterm elections as well. And uh, we've seen moves in Australia. Uh, we've seen Egypt actually strengthening their commitment. So we've seen a few, a few steps forward, but we've also seen a strong lobby from the oil and gas industry present. And, uh, you know, a, a questioning of the 1.5 degrees uh, maximum limit. So, you know, I think at the moment we're in a, we're in a space where we have to keep 1.5 alive. Uh, we have to keep investing on innovation, a lot of which uh, was signaled at, uh, at COP26 in Glasgow. But it really is a, a time to sort of hold strong I don't see it as a time uh, of m major progress or improvements, at least so far. It's not over yet uh, as we're speaking, but it's important that still the major players, uh, you know, take their stand, don't give up on their commitments to net zero, keep the ambitions up for, for 2030. So that's that's on COP27. I, you know, I have other thoughts on where the building industry is is at as well and what's exciting there right now. Please, please, if you if you don't mind touching on it. Well, uh, I, I do think the the building and the construction industry is is on the cusp of a, a major change, really, where sustainability for a long time has been on the fringe, and we've we've heard for a long time about eco efficiency in buildings and and that kind of thing, but really now we start to see innovation coming in and. Um, we have some very good standards that uh, that we can follow now, not only the ones that most people are aware of, like uh, Bream and LEED, but also uh, certifications like the uh, Well Building Certification uh, and the Living Building Challenge. These go much further, they're much more holistic, much more ambitious. And then uh, we get other developments like uh, the innovation in materials, if you look at a, an organization like Biomason, they're actually growing materials from, from uh, bacteria and other living organisms. Uh, the important thing there, of course, is that the building industry has a huge uh, carbon footprint because of the way that we make materials. I mean, uh, when you, you make- One of the biggest. Yeah, or make concrete, uh, you know, this is highly, uh, energy intensive, whereas biomason actually creates these materials at room temperature. Uh, they're lighter and uh, and more resilient than competing materials. So I think there's a revolution waiting to happen in terms of materials, but also in terms of these processes linked to the building industry, like creating uh, concrete. So we we see a big role there for for green hydrogen and blue hydrogen. Uh, basically, you know, we need to to come with a way to to reach those temperatures uh, that doesn't increase the climate catastrophe, and and so I, there's there's big investments going into that, 
which I think is interesting. And then there's a lot of work going around the circular economy for buildings as well. In fact, where I'm calling you from today is Antwerp Management School, our campus here, we've designed with circular economy principles. So we, we lease the lights, uh, the furniture and the audiovisual equipment, it's all on circular economy contracts. Uh, the flooring, you know, uh, if you look at a company like Interface, is quite a well-known case, uh, or, or others like Desso in, uh, in the Netherlands, you know, these are trying to build in circularity also into materials for, for buildings. So for then, our listeners, Wayne, uh, what is a circular economy? So someone trying to, oh, wow, that's, that's a nice term. So uh, as a as a asset manager or a real estate agent, what does that mean? Yeah, it basically means uh, a zero waste economy. Most of our economy is designed, in fact, uh, more than 90% is designed as a take-make-waste economy, which we call it. Really, yeah, exactly. So all our materials, and that doesn't make sense on a finite planet. We have finite resources and we continue to grow and consumption increases. And so something will break down if we if we continue on that path. So we have to design everything to be in circular flows. And there are two major flows that we're concerned about. One is if they are biological materials, so that come from nature and that can safely go back to nature and biodegrade, uh, like timber, for example, is really rising as, uh, as a, a material that can be extremely sustainable. It is, of course, renewable as well, but has a much lower carbon footprint. And then you get technical materials, which are those materials which uh, are artificially manufactured, uh, chemicals, plastics, these sorts of things uh, that really need to go back into production. They can't go to landfill or to, to nature because uh, they, they are harmful, they then biodegrade. And so that's really the move is how do we, we design everything to be fully circular. And uh, that's the only way, to be honest, that we don't end in a situation of ecological collapse. That's how I, I grew up in Mumbai, in India, and uh, that's how I remember my childhood to be. So everything, everything had a use, uh, everything was repaired. There were shops, there are still shops where you can go and repair things right from shoes to gadgets in the kitchen or someone would come and repair your TV. And um, yeah, it was quite a shock to the system when I came to UK and the the way of living was different at the time it was a lot more use and throw and i still sometimes try to find parts to repair things and i can't find them not yeah. even from the manufacturers so yeah anyway. exactly it's about remembering what we used to do what our parents our grandparents used to do when when materials when resources were more scarce and so uh, you know that's what you do you repair you reuse you recycle I must say now we start to get some policy incentives for this. So the EU uh, now has right to repair policies and take back schemes. And so we're moving in the right direction, but it, it needs to speed up. As I said, we're less than 10% circular globally. So a lot going to waste and everything that goes to waste has a carbon footprint, has an ecological footprint um, and, and a social footprint. So. You know, everything we can do to close those loops uh, will really help. I, uh, one of the things when we did the course as well uh, with you um, was um, 
it's the short-term way of thinking, really, isn't it? And I don't know. I was just listening to you talking about COP27, and uh, right now, what they are more worried about are the short-term issues. I'm not undermining any of those issues by any chance, but it's looking into the next year or what is bothering me now, but also keeping an eye on the long-term, which is what we are talking about here, really, isn't it? And then those are the things which we come across um, in the industry quite a lot as well when uh, investment decisions are being made uh, for property or real estate is is the client thinking short term to get an investment a return on investment as soon as possible or is it some of the clients will always think in 100 years because they know that they're going to keep the property whereas some of them will think in five years because they are yeah. adding value and moving on kind of thing and that has such a massive impact really isn't it is this what you see as well from your perspective yes uh, and of course you're referring to for our listeners is the Cambridge uh, Business Sustainability yes. Management course that I'm head tutor on. And uh, there is always this tension between short-term and long-term, but you know, for those that are really strategic, they're, they're looking at what, what the trends are and how the world is changing. And there's a very big risk of what we call stranded assets now. And this is uh, especially true also in the building industry. If you have buildings, that are no longer uh, energy efficient, that are designed in ways that uh, will simply be unacceptable in, in a few years' time, then uh, the chances are those buildings will become a cost for you uh, and a liability rather than an asset. So, you know, there is a, a very high cost associated with being too short-term in your thinking. So we have to develop resilience to cope with the uncertainty in the world today, all of the disruption we see, but without letting go of how the world is changing. Now, I, I think industries and leaders get it. Uh, I think they're smart enough to see that the world is changing. Uh, it happens. I was just this morning uh, uh, meeting with the CEO of a, uh, one of the big oil and gas companies in the world. And of course, they're not going far enough, fast enough, but it's definitely on their strategic agenda. I mean, they're they're aiming for net zero. They, they have a pathway. They're making major investments in how to get there. And so, you know, that's that's what leadership is about, is, is really seeing how the world is changing and making sure you take investment decisions that mean you don't end up on the wrong side of history um, because there will be winners and losers. And that really depends on on how tuned in you are to how radically the world is changing, and it really is. No, 100%. Um, you have authored 40 books, Wayne, and uh, the recent one is Thrive. Can you tell our listeners what Thrive is all about and what, what do you want them to take away if they read Thrive? That What was the mission behind this book? Yes, there's actually 41 books. and the 41, most sorry. <laughs> the recent one is uh, Thriving is the title. The subtitle is The Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society and the Economy. I mean, this is really about how do we understand the complex global system we're part of uh, in terms of six great transitions that we're having to go through, because what we see is, is breakdowns in nature, society, and the economy, major systemic breakdowns. 
and we see uh, innovation in the form of breakthroughs to tackle these areas of challenge. And then these also manifest in market uh, opportunities. And so this is what the book explores. Uh, just to give you a sense of it, of the six transitions, it's, it's how we go from uh, degradation to restoration of ecosystems through the eco-services economy, how we go from depletion to renewal of natural resources through the circular economy, how we go from disparity to responsibility in our workplace and supply chains through the access economy, how we go from disease to revitalization through the well-being economy, and then how we use technology. So how we go from disconnection, the digital divide, to rewiring through a digital economy, and then the one that we're really coping with now, uh, how we go from disruption to resilience through the risk economy. So these are the six transitions. And what the book is really trying to do is to make systems thinking practical. So we also derive six uh, scientific principles that underlie uh, living systems that, that allow them to thrive. And that becomes a kind of a test that uh, companies especially can use as to whether their strategies are moving in the right direction or not. Uh, we also provide uh, what I call integrated value management steps. So how do you actually do this in practice? Uh, in my work, we work with companies to implement thriving, for example, companies like Johnson & Johnson. And uh, then there's a, there's a piece on leadership as well, what kind of leadership we need that's different to before in order to take us from this uh, space of breakdown to breakthrough and, and to, to give the message of hope in the end, uh, because that's our most scarce resource right now. Uh, and, uh, and yet I believe uh, that, that we have many of the solutions and we just need to scale them. Uh, and share the, the best practices. And so the, the, we're in a period of transformation. This is what the book is about, how we even move beyond sustainability, by the way. Thriving is a net positive agenda. It's, it's about regeneration, not only aiming to do less bad, but inherently to do good. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, one of the things we do explore on the podcast is leadership. Uh, because um, a lot of our listeners are on the cusp of taking that next step into leadership. What what would you advise from leadership perspective from the book Thriving, which they can take take away as a lesson? Yeah, well, there, there are quite a few different angles. I mean, the one is that there are certain characteristics of leaders, leaders for thriving or regenerative leaders. And so anything that you can do to develop that in yourself, but also in your leadership teams really helps. And it's things like the ability to think in systems. So to be systemic, uh, to be strategic, to, to have that long-term perspective, to be inclusive uh, is another one, innovative. Uh, also to have courage, to, to have moral courage. These are the kinds of characteristics that uh, we need more development of. Speaking the other day to the Port of Antwerp, Bruges, uh, one of my chair partners, looking at their strategy, they said one of the things they really need right now are people that can deal with this disruption. So people that have resilience, that can deal with the massive uncertainty, the crises that come just one after another. So this is one of the key things. And then uh, the other take on it is to, is to say, 
from my work with leaders over the years, also through Cambridge, through the Institute for Sustainability Leadership, I see that there are basically four things that leaders do well uh, in these uh, changing times. The one is they're able to articulate blue skies. So this is about the vision, a compelling vision. Then they turn that into big goals. You know, we need the strategic ambition. It's no longer enough just to have, you know, fairly unambitious targets. That doesn't inspire anyone anymore. And, and frankly, the problems are large and urgent. So big goals. And then they need to be able to take baby steps. They need to show that change is possible, that these solutions are actually out there and that there's a pathway to this ambition. And finally, they need to identify burning platforms. Uh, and this is about the urgency for change uh, to find what is it that's compelling us to move right now. So these four elements, big blue skies, big goals, baby steps and, uh, and burning platforms is another way to look at it. Uh, and then there's a, a, another lens that I bring based on my, um, my doctoral research, which was identifying what is it that people working in sustainability are uh, inspired by, are motivated by, what keeps us going. And it turns out there are four different types of leaders in this space. And so knowing which type you are and, and, and those on your team as well can be quite helpful. You know, these are uh, expert types, facilitators, catalysts, and activists. Uh, and, you know, that's something I've written about quite a bit. And, uh, you know, we're not all the same, but but we're all trying to make a positive difference. So we need to complement one another. Yeah, and I, I guess not everyone can be a facilitator. So you need you need a catalyst or you, yeah. I guess it's just understanding that the team is made of different people. And I guess that's where the point of inclusion comes in, that it's diverse enough with a wide range of people who bring different experiences. That's very, very interesting for me. Is there another book coming as well? Or uh, if for now, how do you choose topics, by the way? Is it, uh, sorry, this is just me personally asking. My... Yeah, no, it's whatever's compelling, you know, a message that really needs to get out there. And so, yeah, there are a few other ideas that I'm working on. I really want to work uh, more on, on the nature positive space. I think one of the crises that we're really making very little progress on and in some ways is even more serious than climate change is biodiversity loss. We've lost two thirds of our uh, populations of species just in 50 years. And it's something that business hasn't really engaged properly with yet. We're starting to see signs of it, but um, that that needs more work. So something on nature positive, also a, a documentary film on that is something I'm working on. Uh, and then also just on the bigger question of change. How does change really happen in complex systems like global societies? Uh, I don't think it's well understood. And that's one of the reasons also that people get trapped in, in pessimism uh, or, or despair is because they don't see how complex systems change because it's never linear. It's never uh, a stepwise change. It's actually tipping point type change. And we see signs of that all around in men, on many issues, positive tipping points where the accelerations are huge. Uh, and so just exploring that a little bit more, like how does change really happen? 
Uh, that would be a very interesting book because even in business, you you think of this would be a good way of doing it and you're wanting to integrate it within the teams and the change is such a difficult concept for any human being. Yeah. Even a breakfast change is a challenge for me sometimes. It's like, well, I was thinking I'm going to eat this in the morning and I don't have this anymore. And just dealing with that as a stepwise, it will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's understanding that in complex systems, actually, although there is a role for leadership, uh, there is a lot of self-organization. And so we don't have to wait for the person who's leading the country or leading the company to make uh, a certain strategic decision before change can happen. Actually, what what living systems do is they organize themselves uh, behind a purpose. And you know that's that's important. Just aligning behind a purpose and a direction. Some research suggests that uh, it only takes between five and twenty-five percent of an aligned minority in order to shift the behavior of a of a whole group. And so, you know, the idea that we have to convince everyone is not true. We just need uh, we need this common purpose, and and I think that's emerging. You know, whether you use the sustainable development goals, or if you focused on climate, you know, around net zero, uh, or if it's on diversity and inclusion, there are areas where we really do see alignment, uh, common direction and purpose, and therefore the system actually changes. And there's so much positive momentum. I think it's going to take people by surprise. A lot of the progress we're going to make. I often say the future is better than you think. That's fantastic. Well, that's good to know. Uh, and you mentioned that as well. Hope is the one thing which uh, everyone is looking out for right now. When when everything you get from the media is this has gone bad, that is rocketing, or the interest rates yeah. and so on. So this this yeah. this is a positive message to talk about. But also, can I take a quick jump back to one of the personal points? So you you were in Cape Town and then you are in based in UK now. How was the journey from Cape Town to UK? Was it work that bought you or was it a personal goal? Because I moved countries and that was one of the most challenging times for me personally, but how was the journey for you? For me, I mean, I... I, I went to the UK to to do my PhD and and just got involved with Cambridge University and and ended up uh, having that as a base, partly as well because my work was more and more global and mm. so it helps to be located in Europe. It's just more accessible. But uh, a lot of my work is is international and is in developing countries. So my work's taken me to 77 countries now, and most of those are developing countries. So I, everything I learned in South Africa, and I, I still get back, of course, um, you know, I think gives me a balanced perspective that it's uh, you can't just be taking a northern or a western, a rich country perspective on everything. You have to also have an a developing and an emerging e- economy perspective, um, and and that's important. And actually, a lot of the innovations I also see coming from developing countries, and and that's exciting. And uh, social entrepreneurship is alive and well in in many of those emerging markets. And uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, clean tech solutions are also coming from there. So 
Yeah, I guess one of the points uh, was quite interesting is when you have the boundaries and uh, you are very innovative, really, isn't it? When you have uh, resources which are so constrained, you have to think of the best way of using those resources. And that's where innovation happens, as it were. So think inside the box. Yes. And also just, uh, I think, in developing countries, the social elements are stronger, the community elements. Yes. You know, you really... It's, it's as much about ensuring people are coming out of poverty as it is about ensuring that we're not polluting or we're addressing climate change. And, and we need to bring those things together. They're not separate agendas. They're actually all part of the same sustainability ambition that we have, what it means to have a better life. And so that challenges us constantly. And, and so it should, you know. Mm, yeah. so, uh, you know, this week, I think, we passed 8 billion people on the planet. Uh, so, you know, we have now a lot of people in the world who are aspiring to have a high quality of life as they should. And we now need to demonstrate that that is possible within the limits of the planet. And, um, you know, I, I think this idea of hope, I don't want to leave people with the idea that this is fantasy, right? Mm. This is, uh, hope is not a passive thing. I like the quote of Rebecca Solnit, uh, author of uh, Hope in the Dark. She says, hope is not like a lottery ticket that you clutch and sit on the sofa, you know, feeling feeling fortunate. It's actually an axe you break down doors with in an emergency. You know, so hope is something that empowers and motivates and energizes us. And it's based in action. Not it's, passive. The, it's not passive and it's based on the understanding of how much innovation is happening in the world so i i think this is the most exciting time to be alive and, and especially to be working in sustainability because we are changing the world uh, for the better and it's just a case of sharing now all of the good practices and scaling them as as quickly as possible so that uh, you know we don't give our children and our grandchildren a world that uh, is is damaged and is is worse for them we want them to have the opportunities we've had as well no 100% if if um one of the saying which i really like is be the change you want to see uh, which which probably is similar one which is more like take action rather than passively waiting for the change for someone else to make it happen or complain that they are not changing enough sort of a thing um if there was a business uh, who are looking to be more sustainable as it were um, looking at the broader term what would be uh, your advice for them as next steps where should they start in a very broad spectrum of things you would advise them to take yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's helpful just to just to say what are the what are the six steps of integrated value management because I think that is really the practical pathway. So without going into any detail, the, the, the first well, for is, that they will have to take the book, right? But... Exactly, there's more detail in the book, but it's firstly to to really focus on the understanding the system you're part of. We call that uh, uh, the, the patterns step, really ensuring that you understand the trends that are happening in society and not in denial. The second is a stakeholder piece. So really um, listen to your stakeholders, maybe map their material issues, and then figure out the partnerships that you need to get into in order to make uh, progress on those uh, issues. Then there's a step about, uh, about ethics and values. So really being clear on whether you're living in your values, how are you treating your people in your workplace, in your supply chain? 
And then there's a step on strategic goals. I think a lot of companies have strategic goals, but they can't tell you in two or three sentences what is the positive difference they really want to make in the world and put a number a target to that mm. and so ambitious strategic goals this is about purpose and i think that's probably the thing if if i had to say where to start you know really clarify your purpose in in this world and then there's a step on reporting so getting the metrics right this is changing a lot right now we have new a new reporting standard uh, from europe we have the world economic forum stakeholder capitalism metrics lots of things going on so get your metrics right. And the last one is innovation. So really think about what you need to change about your core products and services that make them part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I think those are the, those are the basic steps, but maybe to start with really get that purpose right. And it can't be about increasing sales. Nobody gets inspired by that or market share. It has to be about what's the positive difference you're going to make in the world. And, and it has to be ambitious and it has to be inspiring. That's fantastic. And anyone looking for more details should really refer back to thriving and uh, yeah, get more details on that one as to how to drive that. But I will be definitely referring back to that one. Sorry. Just on, on thriving, just to, to, to make uh, listeners aware. So there are a couple of ways you can come at that. Of course, the book is available as an audio book, as an ebook, and as a as a paper book. But there's also a thriving podcast, Thriving the Breakthrough Movement. So I'm I'm talking like we're talking. I'm talking to interesting people around the world uh, every week and uh, getting their perspectives on how they're implementing different elements of thriving. That's fantastic. They're definitely worth tuning in for our listeners. One last question, Wayne, from me uh, before we um, say bye to the listeners was, what is the biggest risk you have taken in your career, your personal life, which has shaped uh, shaped you and the next steps, as it were? Yeah, I, I always take a big leap career-wise when I feel like I'm not learning enough anymore. I, I get into a a situation as I was after six years with KPMG, but also as I was actually uh, at Cambridge University, where I feel like uh, I'm starting to repeat the same examples. I'm starting to uh, uh, not make enough impact. And so at those points, I always I always jump, jump ship, if you like. So the Cambridge University ex- example, I mean, I, I left, I was research director for the Institute for sustainability leadership and I left and I left and I did a world tour uh, literally for a year just going to you know four different continents uh, 20 countries just traveling constantly and just just listening uh, finding out what's going on on the ground in sustainability and so you know every now and then I do that and uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing it again uh, in in a well, in a few months towards the end of next year, I will I will do another world tour, a thriving world tour where I'll be going uh, all around the world and running workshops and and just also learning, you know, how are people tackling this agenda, where they are in in their own uh, context. So I think it's about taking that that leap of faith sometimes and pushing pushing ourselves constantly to to keep learning. Even the books, I write books to learn, uh, you know, to consolidate my learning, I suppose. 
So never be afraid to to take the leap of faith. That's fantastic. Do you have a, uh, when you go on these world tours, do you have a list of people you think are doing great things and you kind of plan to meet them? Or is it more organic where you, I don't know, you are in UK, for example, and then you hear about someone and you approach and then go. So how does that work? Sorry, it's a bit more detail, I suppose, but just just so interesting that you you travel around and yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a great believer in the coalition of the willing. So uh, I, I really put the invitation out, and as I will be doing now, and saying who's interested in hosting me and and having that uh, space to uh, to share uh, knowledge, and depending on on the interest and and the feasibility, of course, there there always has to be some some funding uh, uh, linked to it just to make it make it work, but. So it's a pretty self-organizing process, as it should be with complex living systems. Uh, and and so, indeed, if there are if there are listeners who are interested in in me visiting their their country, their company, um, then then do reach out. I want to also suggest uh, I, I do this rather cheekily more and more now in in my talks, but also in podcasts, uh, and that's to end with with some poetry. You may remember. I, yes, I was about to ask, but then I was like, "Do I?" <laughs> I'd love that. Thank you. Uh, it's always hard for me to know what to choose, but I, I'm going to do one called "The Place to Thrive," since we've been talking about thriving uh, and it's important to bring creativity into the space as well i think it accesses different parts of our being so so this one is called uh, uh, a place to thrive is the world a better place because we lived and loved and learned what will our children have to face because of what we built and burned are people better than before because we gave them dignity what happened to the sick and poor while we were living strong and free? Is the world a fairer place because we fought for equal rights? Who lost for us to win our race? Or did we open up new heights? Is nature thriving great and small because we walked upon the earth? Did oceans rise and species fall with every breath we took since birth? Is the world a dying place because our enterprises grew? Did we destroy our living space or did we seed the world anew? Each day we get to use our voice to raise the tide or let it ebb. Each day we face a simple choice to nurture life or fray its web. Let's let the world be better still for every moment we're alive because we choose to use our will to make our earth a place to thrive. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And such a lovely way to say thank you. And I'm sure the listeners will really, really enjoy listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Wayne. And good luck. Uh, good luck with organizing the tour as well. And yeah, let's stay in touch. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to the listeners. Uh, lovely to be with you. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in for this episode of Business of Building, where we spoke to Dr. Wayne Wisser about our today of sustainability and our future and a little poem on hope and thriving. 
um, really exciting. I mean, it's so challenging to be a possibilist is what he calls himself uh, in sometimes the dark times when media is just throwing so much junk news at us and uh, it's difficult to focus on what we want for the future and how we can get there. So it was really refreshing to listen to what's happening in the industry, the innovation, but also about a structure for how a business can take the next step uh, with the six steps for regeneration um, into the world of sustainability, what the leaders need to do and look at themselves to lead the businesses, lead the teams uh, into the future. So lots of lots of amazing nuggets from this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, please don't forget to subscribe, like or share the episode. It really means a lot to us. Uh, keeps me going for sure and yeah thank you so much for listening until next time thank you